Turn with me, if you will, to the Old Testament reading this morning in uh, 2 Kings, chapter 5, verse 8. Reading verses 8 through 14, very familiar Old Testament story. And it happened when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. The reading in the New Testament comes from Mark chapter 5. If you'll turn there and leave your Bibles open this morning, we'll be looking at Mark chapter 5. The reading this morning comes from uh, verses 35 through 43. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they were laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered into the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said that something should be given her to eat. Father in heaven, I do pray that we'll be responsive to your words, that you can speak uh, to us, Lord, and we might receive your words, and that we might be changed. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If your spiritual life was a, was a battery, how much power would it contain? I mean, if we could uh, put a, a line on your spiritual life, on both the positive and the, the negative ends of that spiritual battery, and suddenly tie in all of the lights of the city of Fillmore and throw the switch, would you light up the whole town with your spiritual life? If your spiritual life was, and your spiritual power was in a battery, could we put it in a, a tape recorder and put on the tape and would it be moving extra fast, so much power in that life that the, the, the song just goes faster and faster and faster and faster? 
Or would your spiritual power slowly wear down to where it hardly turned the tape recorder at all? Your spiritual life and power were a battery. How much power would you have? You see, I think God doesn't want us to have a flat, boring, dull, listless spiritual life. I've told you that before. And I think the only thing that stands in our way to having a vital Christian life is a decision that we want it to be different and are ready to do something about it. I told you already you need to remove some roadblocks. We need to expose our faith. We need to let Jesus lead. We need to respond to the word. Last week I mentioned we need to nurture that word. We need to expose it to others, to give it time to do its work and expect great things from it. We need to let it affect every area of our life. Now this week I want us to look at Mark chapter 5 and see that we need to turn on the power in our spiritual life. Jesus' life was characterized by power. There in the wilderness he confronted Satan and we see that he had power over the devil. Jesus came back and preached a message and people said we've never heard a message with such authority because he preached with power. The sick were healed, the lame walked, the blind see because he ministered with power. The evil leaders were confronted because he spoke with authority and power. He had the power over sin. It says that he, though he was tempted in all manner like we were, yet he knew no sin because he had power. He had power over life and death. Whether it was the last son of the widow at Nain or the brother of Mary and Martha or Jairus' daughter from Mark chapter 5 or his very own life, he had power over death. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of power. How much power do you and I have in our life? You see, God wants us to have spiritual power, but sometimes we're hesitant to receive it. We're hesitant because power means change in our routine. If I had spiritual power, I might have to do something different, some might say. Power might mean new responsibility or new opportunities. But we do need to seek power, and I think that's the key. We need to seek out and hunger for spiritual power in our life. We're all seeking for something. The whole world is full of seekers, and Christians seek sometimes. The Bible uses a lot of words for that word to seek. In the Old Testament, there's a word that means to seek out, to strive after, to beg for, to diligently care for. In fact, one word, one Hebrew word, means to painstakingly search for early in the morning. We're all seeking for something. We crave it and demand it and seek it diligently. It seems to me as Christians, we are seeking things that produce no power in our life. And I'm not thinking about worldly things that we seek. Too many Christians, I think, are misguided in seeking, first of all, tranquility. We seek life without a ripple. That's why we're here. We want all the answers to our problems. That's why we read the scriptures. We want an answer to every problem. We don't want any conflicts. We don't want any anxiety. We don't want anything in our life to go wrong. We're seeking tranquility. And Jesus comes along and says, but in the world, you have tribulation. Sometimes we seek superiority. As Christians, we come and we study and we worship. 
And we want to know God because then we'll know a little bit more than anyone else. A spiritual one-upmanship. And Jesus says, if anyone wants to be first, he should be last of all and servant of all. Maybe what we're seeking is longevity. How many times have you heard some person who was rather advanced in years, attribute his long life to, well, I lived a good life. And we come because we want to live a good life and live a long life. And Jesus says, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. Longevity, superiority, tranquility are power robbers. There are some things in life we should be seeking. The scripture's clear. From the book of Genesis to the book of Revelations, God tells us things that we should be seeking. We should seek the Lord. We should seek his strength, he says. We should seek his face continually. We should seek after all the commandments of the Lord. We should seek to dwell in the Lord's house forever. We should seek such things as peace and wisdom and justice and righteousness and humility and immortality and knowledge and love. The Bible is crammed full of those things that we should seek. We should seek the things from above in Christ's best interest. We should seek to be justified in the Lord, and we should seek to abundantly instruct his church. We should seek our neighbor's good and God's glory and his kingdom and righteousness. We should seek instruction from him and seek the welfare of the city into which God has sent you. We should seek the good of Jerusalem and his flock. We should seek a permanent spiritual home and the profit of many. We should also seek spiritual power. How are we going to do that? Mark chapter 5, verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. You're familiar with the account in Mark chapter 5 here where Jesus has gone to the other side, the far side of the Lake of Galilee, and there he's confronted by a man possessed of many demons called Legion. And Legion comes running to Jesus, and he knows exactly who Jesus is. He knows exactly who he is. And all of chapter 5 of Mark is a, is a chapter filled with power, and certainly we see here Jesus' power over all of these demons. And I think if we're going to get spiritual power in our life, the first thing we have to do is seek it with an honest view of ourself. Legion sought Jesus with an honest view of himself. Only those who know they are spiritually powerless can really get a hold of God's power. Take an inventory of your own spiritual power. Say in the last five months, how many people have been led to the Lord directly by your conversation? How many raised up from sick beds? Or how many broken relationships have been restored? How many brothers in sin convicted to change because of your words? How many times have you stood against the evils of Hades and seen them destroyed? What kind of power inventory do you have? Now, because a person is powerless does not mean they're worthless. Because a person might be powerless does not mean they're unscriptural. And it doesn't mean you're un incapable or anyone's incapable of doing some spiritual good. Powerless means powerless. 
And we have to seek the Lord with an honest view of ourselves and admit we are powerless. Lord, I am powerless in my spiritual life. Say it with me. Lord, I am powerless in my spiritual life. We have to say it and admit it. The second thing we can do, we can seek spiritual power with no regard as to what it will cost. Mark chapter 5, verse 17. It says, and they began to entreat him to depart from the region. You know who they is, the people in the city. The people in the city that had seen this man legion for years, had heard his screams among the tombs, had known uh, what destruction Satan had done in his body. Those people came out and they wanted Jesus to leave. They witnessed firsthand the power of God and, and it costs too much. They lost a herd of swine. If they kept this man Jesus around longer, who knows what they would lose? The cost was too great. We need to seek spiritual power with no regard as to what it might cost. Spiritual power in your life might cost a lot of time. 24 hours in prayer? That's a lot of time. And spiritual power might cost you time. It might cost you some dreams. But if I had spiritual power, then, I, then I'd want to do all those things for the Lord and I'd have to set some other dreams aside. Most of all, spiritual power will cost you some sin. What's your favorite sin? Don't tell me. <laughs> we all have a favorite sin. You know that? We coddle it and hold on to it and play with it. Like a grown man hugging his childhood teddy bear, we hang on to our sin, don't we? And we know for a fact that if I got rid of that, I probably could have more spiritual power, but I don't want to. And if you want more spiritual power in your life, you're going to have to get rid of some sins. It'll cost you that favorite sin. You really can't do it anymore. We need to seek spiritual power with no regard to what it would cost. Third, we need to seek spiritual power with no regard as to what others think. Mark chapter 5, verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything. That's chapter 4, verse 22. Chapter 5, verse 22. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up upon seeing him, that is Jesus, fell at his feet. The scene is always amazing to me because Jairus was such a, a prominent religious leader, a synagogue official, somebody everybody knew was religious and holy and right with God. And how humbling a thing it would be for Jairus to come running up to this traveling prophet from Nazareth and throw himself at his feet. Everyone, all of the common people would have thought perhaps my old Jairus is a backslider. Look at him. We thought he was such a religious person, but now he needs help from this Jesus. So if we're going to seek spiritual power, we have to seek it with no regard as to what others think. The biggest drawback to seeking spiritual power in your life is going to be what others might think while you do it. Because you're worried about one of two things. You're worried about, first of all, 
The fact that people can fake seeking God, and it might not seem sincere what you're doing. And you're also worried that people might be offended. If I seek spiritual power, it might seem as if I'm trying to be some holy Joe kind of person. And, uh, and so I hold back. But what we have to learn to do is to sit in the Lord's house and to worship him, to grow in knowledge of him, to hear the word, and be ready to respond to his word. And then I think what we need to do is be able to come to the conclusion of the worship service and just imagine in our mind that we're ready to respond. We've been challenged by his word. And then all of a sudden, there's nobody in the church but us. Nobody else but us in the Lord. Then what would you do? How would you respond if all of a sudden, after a dramatic presentation of God's word, and you felt challenged to respond, how, what would you do if you were all alone with the Lord? All of a sudden, you might find yourself giving yourself to him. You might find yourself sitting in the pew for an extra hour. You might find yourself in tears. You might find yourself on your knees in prayer. If you don't find yourself responding this way, it's probably because you're worried about what other people think. If we're going to seek spiritual power, we have to think it. We have to seek it without worrying about what other people think. Paul knew who he was, and he was not too proud to let others know. He said in 1 Timothy 1.15, he was the chief sinner. He said in 1 Corinthians 15.9, he was the least of the apostles and not fit to be an apostle. He said in Ephesians 3.8 that he was the very least of all the saints. Paul said in Romans 7.18, I know that nothing good dwells in me. And if that weren't enough, he even bragged about his weakness in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Some people were doubting Paul's authority. They said, Paul says he has a lot of power, but he goes around sick with this thorn in the flesh. So he doesn't really have any power. And to that, Paul replied, I, I'm going to boast in my weakness. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. We want spiritual power. We're going to have to seek it with no regard about what others think. Fourth, we're going to have to seek spiritual power with a desperate heart. Mark chapter 5, verse 28. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I shall get well. One of the most familiar of the miracles of Jesus. The lady with the hemorrhage been sick 12 years. She was desperate. She had tried everything. There was none to try. She was still sick. She said to herself, if I can get through the crowd, if I can be strong enough, if I can feel well enough and whole enough to just make it through that crowd and get close enough to touch his garment. She was desperate. When we seek spiritual power, we need to seek it with a desperate heart. How bad do you want spiritual power in your life? Or are you just seeking it for more tranquility, superiority, and longevity? Can you get along without spiritual power? You probably will. Is it conceivable that things can go on just like they are? Then they probably will. Is spiritual power the frosting on your spiritual cake? Then they probably won't find it. Or is it a necessity? Is it not something has to be done, but I have to do something? Then you're seeking it with a desperate heart.
Fifth, I think, spiritual power comes when we believe. Believe enough, even though we don't see any immediate result. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? And then verse 36. But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. We need to seek spiritual power believing whether or not we see something immediate or not. Last Thursday is what we call in the church uh, calendar Ascension Thursday, celebrated as a day uh, to remember that Christ ascended into heaven after those 40 days that he appeared after uh, his resurrection. So some 40 days after Passover, we call that Ascension Thursday. Ten days after that, we call it what? Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit came with power on the apostles. Now, during that 10-day time from the time Jesus was taken up into heaven and before the Holy Spirit came with power, the apostles were told to go back into Jerusalem and wait. And it must have been difficult to wait. Why didn't he just reach down through the clouds as he was being taken up and grant them that power right then? 10 days doesn't seem like a long time until you sit around in a room day after day an hour after hour, waiting for who knows what or who knows how long. We need to seek spiritual power believing even though we might not see any immediate results. Why did they wait? I think they waited because they needed a chance to examine their own unworthiness. In sitting around waiting for the power of God, you begin to realize, I don't really deserve any power from God. There's nothing about me that demands that God should grant me power. I think during that wait, there's a chance to be free from manipulating God. And so we wait. We can't say, Lord, I did one, two, and three. Now you have to give me the power. During that waiting time, it's a time to know what it's like not to have any spiritual power. I don't think it's really a secret we need spiritual power to get our spiritual life going, and we must seek it. We must seek spiritual power with an honest view of ourselves, with no regard for what it will cost, no regard for what others think. We're going to have to seek spiritual power with a desperate heart, believing no matter what we see. It's not a sin to discover that your spiritual life is stuck in neutral. It's just a sin to leave it there. Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you. And Lord, I know it doesn't come as a big shock, but Father, I need your power. Lord, you know I'm powerless. Father, you know I'm your child, that I have accepted Jesus as my Savior, that I love you. And Father, you know that I've received your Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of your gifts. And Lord in heaven, you know that I've committed my life to your service. And I enjoy you, enjoy you working, Lord. But Father, in spite of all of that, I'm powerless. Lord, I, 
I talked for months to a feuding couple, and Father, they're still getting a divorce. Lord, I've counseled with the bitter, and they're still just as bitter. Father, the angry are still angry. And the sensual still are full of lust. And Lord, the skeptic has not been converted yet. And Father, the unforgiving haven't started to forgive. And Lord, the backslidden are still sliding. And the melancholy, Lord, are still depressed, no matter what I said. And the weak, Lord, the weak are barely surviving. And Lord, you've been with me in my study and poured over the text. You've excited my spirit. You've propelled me into the pulpit and then you've listened, Lord, to the silence of empty pews. Father, I'm powerless. Lord, I need your power. Father in heaven, this church needs your power. Oh, Lord, this town needs your power. And Lord, I just want you to know I'll pay the price. Lord, if it takes 80 hours a week, I'll pay the price. Father, if it means not writing another thing, I'll pay the price. Lord, if it means getting rid of that house by the lake, I'll pay the price. I want it, Lord. I want the spiritual power to do your work. I want to see dramatic results in the lives of other people. And Father, I can't be satisfied with anything else. Lord, I want to see every husband whose wife is sitting here alone today, I want to see them know you and be in church. I want to see them rejoice in your presence. I want to see the teens, Lord, who feel like they've been forced to be here this morning. I want to see them excited about their faith. Hardly able to contain the joy that you put in their hearts. Lord, I want to see the painted rafters of this building vibrate when we sing praise to you. Father, I want those new visitors and neighbors to be so thrilled to be in your house. They can't wait to get back, Lord. I want spiritual power. Lord, I've shared my heart. Father, I'm afraid. Lord, have I exposed myself too deeply? Give them the mercy to accept I believe in your great power, Lord. I've seen it before. So I thank you for it, for the great joy that will be ours when the power begins to flow. Lord, not just in my life, but in each life. Father, we are powerless, but we're yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.